Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where season three is starting with a splash. And I mean that literally. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m., right after Charlie and right before Nahum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine or as wet as it will be before this show is over. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. I am joined by two people here in the studio today. I'm joined by Avrami, who's behind the board. Boker Tov, Avram. Bokatov, how are you? I think I'm well. Long time no see, by the way. Yeah, it feels like uh, it's been forever since I've been in here. Yeah, and it also feels like I've been to Israel 400 times since the last time I saw you, but both of those things are true. <laughs> it's yeah. not a bad thing. No, 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 no. It's it's uh, certainly not. We um, we had a number of trips to Israel this summer. For those of you keeping track at home, yes, I was in Israel three times this summer. I feel fortunate every time I go to Israel, and that is the truth, and as always, we thank our friends at Nefesh Benefesh, <laughs> who, um, while they say they want me to make Aliyah, keep giving me return tickets back here to New York. So there's some kind of miscommunication there. But uh, regardless, yeah, it was a fantastic summer. It was a very busy summer. Uh, and uh, Nachum and I did have the opportunity to go twice for work, so, shall we say. And once I went for pleasure and to share in a simcha, which was very exciting. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I really, really cannot complain. Thank God, and thank God things are quieting down or have quieted down. But um, as Nachman and I were encouraging everyone over the summer to keep their plans for Sukkot and to keep their plans traveling to Israel for whatever it is, yes, please God, I will be going to Israel for Sukkot as well. The other person in the studio, by the way, is Danny Goldberg. Danny Goldberg is our new assistant program director here starting at Season 3. And I didn't tell Danny he was going to be on the air, but hey, anything could happen here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Good morning, Danny. you got to get closer to that mic. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Miriam. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Good. And uh, official welcome here. I know that you're on with Mark and Leora during the stunt show at 1 o'clock, so I don't want to take away from that, but I do want to officially welcome you here at That's Life and at the network and tell you that already in the first week and a half you've been great. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, the fact that you're an out-of-towner really definitely helps break some of the New Yorkism uh, that goes on here at the network. So uh, as a babysitter, you're coming in very handy. <laughs> I appreciate it. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking your break from your day to tune in. If you're a returning listener, thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, friend me on Facebook, send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachamsegel.com. By the way, if you want to reach Danny, he's danny at nachamsegel.com. Shoot him an email and say hi. Introduce yourself, especially those of you who are fans of the network, who listen to the shows constantly. And, um, you know, introduce yourself. Say hi. Welcome him to the family. I, I encourage members of the network to keep a hazing to the minimum of the new guy. But, hey, for our audience, you guys can feel free to do whatever you want. Um, also, as always, please follow me on Twitter, Nachum Se- uh, Miriam L. Wallach, and follow us on Twitter, Nachum Net. That's all one word. A shout-out to my better half, by the way, to Stephen Wallach. Happy anniversary to us. My thanks. Oh, you're clapping? Okay, thank you. Um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything that you do for this family, and God knows for what you put up with me, that is for darn sure. I'm not sure where the years have gone, but I am happy to have spent them with you. And a shout-out as well to my boss. Yep. And to everyone here at the Nachum Siegel Network, today is the second anniversary of the launch of this network. We started at the Jerusalem Cafe in Midtown that morning where we all gathered for JM and AM and for breakfast and for a kickoff. And that was the first day 
of season one. And now two years later, we have completed two seasons. We are starting, we have started, I should say, this week, season three. And um, I honestly cannot believe what we have done in two years. It is pretty exciting. And I can tell you and tell everyone who is listening that the future Bli Ayin Hara looks very, very bright for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I am incredibly proud of what we have done. My thanks to every member of this team, past and present, for making it what it is. And to our loyal and supportive listeners, we honestly would be absolutely nowhere without you. You know what that crinkle means? Yeah. It's time for the fortune cookie, folks. I'm really hoping, by the way, Rami, I'm really hoping that the this fortune cookie has some kind of water element to it. Not that it got wet, but that there is that Confucius knows I'm doing the ice bucket challenge. And that it's and that it's one of the elements, right? Water element. Going oh to the yeah. Ending. Okay, I wasn't going there at all, but that's fine. And I should just it comes note with you know Chinese food and etc. Oh, I thought the MSG comes with Chinese food. The other the other thing I just want to note, by the way, is I know people appreciate the fact that I'm mockpid, that I'm very strict about fortune cookies not being broken in the package before I open them because that makes the fortune null and void. Something happened. There was a lot of jostling of the fortune cookie box this summer, and there are a bunch that have become collateral damage, obviously, or unfortunately. So I'm going to do this fortune cookie, but the other one I pulled out is already broken in half. So I'm really I'm I'm placing a lot a lot of um, responsibility, a lot of stress on this court fortune cookie. Come on, Confucius. Don't let it dampen your spirits. A new venture will be a success. Yeah. Yeah, what do you mean? It's the anniversary of the network? Okay, that's true, that's true, but it, all right, it has nothing to do... All Your right. anniversary, that's everything true. going on. A new yeah. venture. Okay, all right. That has nothing to do with the ice buckets, but it's fine. I'll go along with it anyway. I buy it, I buy it, I buy it. Anyway, today is National Wildlife Day. Not sure how that has anything to do with the launch of the network or my anniversary, but we're just going to move on. And it's also Newspaper Carrier Day. Again, I thank the newspaper carriers who deliver my paper every morning, but not sure how that impacts on uh, the otherwise significance of this day. I do want to remind everyone that Nachum will be joining me on the air in about 40 minutes or so as I take the ALS Challenge here, outside, on Grand Street, assisted by our friends at Frank's Bike Shop, because, frankly, Frank's Bike Shop does run this town, let's all be honest. And I do want to thank Judy Miller, Judy Miller-Myman, I should say, and Amy Nachman, who nominated me for the ALS Challenge a number of weeks ago, though I did announce on Facebook, to the chagrin of some, that I was waiting for Season 3 to start before uh, taking the challenge, because I did want to do it on the air. So Nachum will be assisting me, as will Danny, and frankly, so will Avrami. And I do want to reassure ZK, if he is listening, that no, we're not doing it in the studio. I didn't have to tarp the entire area or cover or bubble wrap everything just to make sure the water wouldn't get anywhere. We are doing it outside. Anyway, my first guest is on the phone, and as we promised... Dr. Nora Gold is the author of Fields of Exile. She joins us on the phone now. It is her first novel about anti-Israelism on campus. It was mentioned by the forward as one of the, the five Jewish books to read in 2014. It has received enthusiastic reviews as well as praise from numerous well-known authors. Dr. Gold is also the author of the acclaimed Marrow and Other Stories, the creator and editor of the prestigious online literary journal JewishFiction.net. She is also a blogger for the Jewish Thinker at Haaretz, and she's a writer in residence and an associate scholar at the University of Toronto and an organizer of the Wonderful Women Writers Series. And most importantly, out of all of this, she's a community activist. Good morning, Dr. Gold. Good morning, Miriam. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm happy we connected, and thank you, everybody, on Twitter for making that happen. <laughs> 
Great. I appreciate you coming on. So tell me something, because you do on your on your website, you do title yourself or call yourself a writer, editor, and an activist. Talk to me about being a community activist and how that plays into being a writer. Well, that's a very interesting question. I've always been involved in community activism around issues that I cared about. Um, Most of it, I would say, within the Jewish community and most of it related to Israel. Um, I'm a very committed Zionist. My politics have been quite progressive, so I've been involved in progressive Zionist organizations. And most recently, because I, like so many people, I've been so concerned about the anti-Israelism that actually began on campuses, I would say, several decades ago and has been increasing in in its impact and magnitude. Um, I, with others, founded an organization called J-Space Canada, uh, not J-Street, it's an (laughs) independent organization, and its purpose was to provide an alternative to Canadians and others outside of Canada who want to affiliate, to provide an alternative for uh, to the anti-Israel left and to the pro-Israel extreme right, and to provide a home for people who are progressive thinking but uh, are outraged by the attempts to delegitimize Israel that are so common nowadays. So the, the camp, what is going on in campuses and that... Um that has been going on, as you say, for decades, is has turned our, I should say, has turned our children and students into de facto activists as a result of them just being there. Well, it's turned some of them into activists. Um, I wouldn't say all of them, because many of them are simply afraid and avoid situations. Right. You know, they walk around certain kinds of information tables and they suffer in certain classes in silence. I mean, not everyone is an active fighter. Um, People fight in various ways, and some people don't fight at all. Um, You asked about the relationship between activism and fiction. In addition to the kind of activism I described, I also, I can't say I'm using, but I would say my novel is another form of activism Mm. because I think stories are very powerful. When you, when you talk to people um, through an essay or through a lecture, you may be able to influence someone's perspective intellectually, but you don't reach their heart. And I think as someone who, my background is in social work and, and community work, I was a social work professor as well, we know that for real change, social change but also individual change, the heart has to be involved. Mm. One has to emotionally understand something. And I think with a novel, what happens is that one, if one connects at all with the character, and I assume people do or they wouldn't continue to read, right. read it, you know, they put it down. But it, once you've connected, you enter the inner life of the main character and you see the world through her or his eyes. In the case of my novel, I've actually heard from friends, Jewish and non-Jewish, who didn't understand my passionate love for Israel, or they didn't understand the difference between legitimate criticism of Israel and anti-Zionism, anti-Israel, and delegitimization of Israel. They got it from this book because they were seeing the world through Judith's eyes. And all of a sudden, 
it hit them emotionally, and they went, oh. <laughs> and they liked the character. I guess if you can't stand the car- character, it might be harder to engage, but she's a very likable character. And not that I think a novel can change, <laughs> you know, the BDS movement or many people in the world, but for well-meaning people who really want to understand and and can't access that kind of understanding from essays or blogs or whatever, um, this this may be another way to help them understand. Well, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but what I think is interesting about Judith is that she finds herself in that situation that so many of our college students, and in this case, I mean, Judith is a grad student, so it's a, mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit more unusual. Um, and because she is older, obviously, than a college student who is not as trained or not as articulate or, or well-spoken or self-confident in order to articulate their pro-Israel ideas or their, or be proud or um, outspoken about their Zionism, she finds herself in a situation where she is a de facto activist in the fact that initially she is unable to find that voice, which I, which, and, and those moments um, to me were very, very um, true, just very real, very authentic in the fact that, yeah, we can all sit at home and be Zionists and read the, the newspaper and be outraged at the New York Times and we can be this and we can be that. But push comes to shove, all of a sudden you're out of your comfort zone and you're not in your kitchen with a cup of coffee and you're mm-hmm. on a college campus, you're on a graduate school campus with other people who are supposed to be academic, intellectual, of a higher level and they're spewing stuff that is m- makes you viscerally angry, furious, enraged, and you have to decide. You have to figure out whether or not you're going to find your voice or not. And that's where Judith finds herself. Well, it's so wonderful what you've said. I mean, your understanding uh, of the situation and of Judith is fantastic. I mean, this past weekend, um, the journal that I edit, jewishfiction.net, celebrated its fourth birthday at Ashkenaz, and in honor of it, two stories uh, excerpts were were read by a wonderful New York actor David Mandelbaum and a wonderful Toronto actor Marilyn Lightstone and they read a section of Fields of Exile and the first question that we got from the audience it was a great event um, was you know someone who was rather angry and disappointed at Judith like why didn't she why didn't she just speak up the first time you know what's wrong with Judith and and it's not the first time actually people have expressed this to me and as i as i answered to her you know i wasn't trying to create an ideal or a hero or an impossible person i was really interested in creating a real human being and real human beings are frightened sometimes right. and certainly when hatred is directed against you and here i do not mean someone disagrees with you or someone doesn't like you or someone criticizes you. But when you experience hatred for your people, for a country you love, when you experience hatred as a Jew, which means anti-Semitism, you freeze. I don't think anyone, unless you're trained, has the words to answer a, a vindictive, vitriolic, and untrue summary about the state of Israel. So it takes Judith time just as it takes Hamlet time to, to 
decide what to do. You know, people don't say, well, I don't like Hamlet because he didn't knock off Claudius in the first scene. Right, but Queen Esther, speaking to your point, Queen Esther missed her first round as well. Yes, it's very interesting you say that because in the book, Judith says, you know, her boyfriend is of a different ilk, and he's saying, just keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, get through the year. And she's saying, but I have to look at myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And she quotes... Mordechai, you know, right. what makes you think if you don't act, blah, blah, blah. And, and he says, stop, stop with the fantasies. You're not Queen Esther, you know, <laughs> but actually she loves Queen Esther and she sings Purim songs and thinks a lot about Queen Esther. And in some ways, Queen Esther is a role model that maybe you take your time and maybe you're strategic about it, but one does have to act. And I won't give away the plot, but she does find her courage eventually right there is a there is there is a moment in everyone's life where there's a call to action and it's whether or not you heed that call or you let the call go um and it's it's obviously um it's it's very timely the 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 importance of this book the the essence of the story the plot line because as i joked in um or i should say as nahum joked this morning on jm and the am i had alluded to the fact that the book was slightly prophetic that if you looked at the news today even though this book was taking place a number of years ago or i should said i should say it's set a number of years ago Mm-hmm. And um, not taking place in 2014, it could be taking place in 2014 because the stories that we hear coming out of college campuses and the BDS movement and things going on in Europe and frankly things that have been, you know, moments of amp- anti-Semitism and episodes of anti-Semitism happening around the United States as well. Mm-hmm. And we do none of us live in a bubble. None of us live in a bubble. So um, when I when when I had alluded to the fact that the book was prophetic because it could be happening in 2014, I guess the bottom line is, and and you can speak from your experience both as somebody who is on campuses and somebody who is also an activist, that no, this is not something happening now or 10 years ago, but this has constantly been happening. The stories may not be getting out or may not have been getting out, but this is a constant struggle that Jews face all the time. Well, it's very correct what you say, that this is not something that started in 2014. It, this, the novel is set in 2002 to 2003. Um, in addition to being Canadian, I'm an Israeli citizen. I made Aliyah at a certain point and currently living in Canada, but I always see everything sort of one eye through a Canadian lens and the other side through an Israeli lens. So when I returned to Canada at a certain point, um, this was mid-early uh, 80s, but when I was a student again, um, mid-80s, early 90s, I immediately saw the beginnings of anti-Israelism in the academe. Um, and I, I picked up on it more quickly than many other people, perhaps because I, I'm so, I had been living in Israel, and in Israel, one is not the minority culture, so it's not normative to be disdain, to experience disdain, etc., in, in the sort of subtler forms that it took back then. I think, I also think you're correct that um, that it's growing now. I think it's it's very serious now what's happening. And, and I think it's important that the community as a whole takes responsibility for the problem, which I know it is trying to do. There are all sorts of good programs and projects. But I worry when people talk about, you know, we have to train our students. I certainly think we have to help them cope with the situation and strengthen themselves and know what to expect. But I don't think we can really ask 
you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds to um, the ones who don't want to, obviously, to become major activists and fighters of anti-Semitism. You're absolutely right that we all have a decision to make, and there are some students who just aren't emotionally invested or capable of doing that, and I think one has to respect that, too. One has to say, you know, I, I really admire those who go to bat, and in the end, Judith completely transforms. But I also think we need to be very gentle uh, towards the students and understanding of students who don't want to don this mantle because it is it is very, very frightening, I must say. It's really talking about encountering hatred right. and, and dangerous people in many cases. Um, I... As you mentioned, I blogged for Haaretz, and my last blog was called When Zionism Becomes a Dirty Word. And within mm. an hour, I had over 5,000 shares wow. on Facebook and 373 comments <laughs> and 150 repeats on, uh, retweets on Twitter. And, and, and uh, how- one comment was positive. It I- was basically <laughs> the BDS world went crazy, right. you know. So, right. you know, I'm not... 18 years old, so I can take it, but <laughs> we know that the social media, <clears throat> you know, the, the online world is exploding with anti-Semitism, yeah. and many young people are experiencing anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism for the first time through that and feeling very unsafe online, and some are actually avoiding, you know, Twitter and Facebook for a while because they can't cope. So it's interesting how the the struggle transforms and the locations of the fight transform, and yet it's all the same thing. No, I agree with you, and truthfully, yeah. there are so many who has been called a Nazi more than once on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. well, you know, yeah, that's below the belt. Um, but uh, the truth be told is that, yes, being, uh, being a Zionist is something to wear proudly, but uh, it, being a voice is not always for everyone. Dr. Nora Gold is the author of Fields of Exile. She joins us here on the air at That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Dr. Gold, I only have a minute or two left, but I have to ask you two questions. Sure. I need to understand Judith's obsession with the Israel at 40 tape. <laughs> and and now that I'm understanding, and just so that our, our listeners understand, the um, Judith, who is the main character, who, by the way, just to note, often finds herself or, or is involved in a number of mature situations, so people should not think that, um, that the book is appropriate, shall we say, for all ages. There are, there are scenes that are of a more mature nature. But Judith, oftentimes, especially in her car, finds herself listening or gravitates to her Israel at 40 playlist, so to speak, mm-hmm. her, her tape. And I find it, her cassette tape, as a matter of fact, and I find it fascinating that she keeps going back to that, that those, those songs constantly speak to her. That's a wonderful question, Miriam. Um, in 2002, Israel was already there was already an Israel at 50 tape, and as she she realizes um, and says at one point in the book, uh, Israel at 50 was not a happy tape. Mm. You know, it was it was a terrible time socially, economically, politically, and and the tape was very depressing. It was really like a like a dirge. And things were happier at Israel at 40. So to some extent, you know, and she's accused of this by her boyfriend, Bobby. I mean, right. she's, to some extent, I wouldn't say lives in the past, but the, the Israel she loves and the Zionism she loves is, is of a different time and place to some degree. 
um, she gets a great deal of nurturance from the songs that she sang when she lived there and that are inspiring and comforting. And she really uses music, I think, as many people do, as a way of grounding herself and comforting herself. And, of course, she pictures singing these songs with her Israeli friends when she lived right. there as part of a, you know, the Yom Mode sing songs. Mm-hmm. So it has many sort of psychological and emotional um, resonances for her. But I also think it's typical. You know, we prefer to pick music that makes us happy and reminds us of happy things right. and sometimes the more realistic but sadder ones. Right. And in short, and I know this is a much longer question for a much lo- for another time, and I hope you will join me again. But, but as a social worker, as a person who's tra- trained in social work, mm-hmm. and this is something that Judith goes through as she, it too, is a, is a student who is um, in a program for social work, and that's what brings her to the campus in the first place. What, is it possible... If social workers are are mandated, so to speak, to have to um, love, and I use that term loosely, I guess, their clients unconditionally and not be, you know, taken aback or repulsed or angered by that person in order to handle or treat that person properly, is it possible to befriend somebody who has um, completely anti-Israel values and anti-Israel sentiments and remove the politics from the situation and still like that person? Or for us as Jews, is the politics so visceral because we feel as an affront that we can't make that delineation? Well, that's, that's, I'll try to answer briefly because I, I know there's just a little time left. You're asking a very thoughtful question about what is unconditional positive regard, as they call it in social work. And at one point, Judith understands, or one of her teachers says, you know, that really does, refers to sort of hate the sin but love the sinner, mm-hmm. which, of course, is the Christian concept. I think one of the things in social work, as a professor and when I was a student, you know, that one focuses on is learning to coexist with other people's values and you try to respect your clients. Uh, one does respect one's clients in spite of differences of opinion. I mean, I've had racist clients, and, and you know, what is your role in that situation where someone says something racist or, or anti-Semitic or whatever? Um, some people actually think that as part of an anti-oppression uh, educational agenda, one should confront one's client and say, do you realize what you just said was racist? Mm. Uh, many, I would say most, Social workers would not take that route. But I don't think social workers, I mean, social workers aren't different from anybody else. And, mm. you know, part of the shock for, for me in, in this whole field um, is discovering how people within one's profession or beyond can take the, the phrase social justice mm. to mean so many different things. Right. So... I think it can be very hard. It's very hard these days, whatever your profession is, uh, whether you're in the humanities or social sciences in particular. I did research on Jewish professors' responses to Israel and if they've intervened as activists when they encountered it in their classrooms. Interesting. It's very interesting. The humanities and social sciences are actually rougher places to be than, say, a faculty of management 
or architecture or rather engineering or whatever. But um, I guess we're all human. I yes. That's the point. <laughs> I think uh, that is that is very, very well put. Dr. Nora Gold, author of Fields of Exile, I thank you very much. I know that I that I took more time than I said that I would, but I really appreciated having you on. I hope that wasn't too much of a trouble. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. And enjoy the ALS challenge, Miriam. Yes, thank you. I <laughs> am so looking forward to the seven pound bag of ice that I purchased <laughs> this morning. It should it should go smoothly. Doctor Gold, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And Fran Hermes, outgoing president of Amuna and incoming national chairman of the board, joins me on the phone this morning. Hello, Fran. Hello, Miriam. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for holding. I apologize for the wait. Um, there's there's so many things that I want to talk to you about in terms of looking back on your presidency and um, and basically, you know, looking at it with uh, with hindsight, with 2020. Tell me one major accomplishment of your presidency, Fran, as you look back. Um, and you had a wonderful presidency. Tell me one major accomplishment for Amuna that you're so proud of. Wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. I should have given it to you before I put you on hold. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. One major accomplishment. Wow. Um, and obviously everything happens as a team. Nothing is done just by one person. You work with a wonderful group of people, and you will continue to work with a wonderful group of people as chairman of the board. I don't even know where to begin to say what the, <laughs> the major accomplishment, because it's not one. It's not one major, thing. It's not one major accomplishment. It's a, it's a building. Mm. It's a building of the organization. It's a bringing it to new, to new heights, to new awareness. So then let me rephrase. Then tell right. me, then, then I'll rephrase it by saying, how is the organization different from when you started as president? Okay. Be- I think. Better? I think, yes. Okay. I think the organization is in a new, a new focus, a new awareness of the breadth of the organization, of the, the total awareness of the, the work that we do. I think at least in the five towns, I know, and I'm sure that's true across the country because I know your network reaches way beyond the five towns For sure, where, yeah. where I sit. Right. And I know I'm just sitting here in Woodmere. Right. Um, the focus has, has, majority, has predominantly been on the children's homes, and I've been striving to, to broaden the awareness of the organization to beyond to to broaden the scope of the work that we do to beyond the children's homes to the counseling centers to the daycare centers to the college to the high school to really show the breadth to the entire circle of life to show everybody the amazing work that we do to everything to the educational network right because that's it's it's so unbelievable the work that we're doing in Israel, and that's really what I've been trying to do throughout my whole presidency. And to that end, just recently, we brought on board a chief development officer um, as a professional to really help us get that message out there. And last night, we sent him to Israel to really learn what we do, and it's his first trip to Israel in his life. Wow. Yeah, isn't that unbelievable? Uh, wow. <laughs> right, that's what he said. <laughs> right. So he's there seeing everything firsthand. Wow, that's his incredible. Is, his name is Cliff Wasser, and 
that he's going to come back with to- being totally inspired, and he's going to help us get that message out there. And as a team with Karen Spitalnik, our new president, the three of us with all our amazing volunteers all over the country, we're going to go out there and get that message out there to everybody. So we should talk about your trip this summer. I mean, I alluded to one of my trips at the beginning of the show, but let's talk about your trip. I was able to cap uh, to catch some of your pictures on Facebook of the different... Um, Solidarity missions? Yeah, exactly. The the different meetings that you took, the different oh places that you, that you saw. Tell us about that. Well, Rabbi Golden from Avatara in Englewood called us and said... Let's do a solidarity mission. And in three days, we put together a solidarity mission with Rabbi Golden, Rabbi Block from Kesher uh, in Tenafly, Rabbi Zatz from B'nai Yashirin, Rabbi Feldman from Orsadja, Rabbi Winkler from Fort Lee, and we all, and a bunch of people from the five towns, we had 80 people that signed up in 48 hours. Wow. It was... Wow. We could have had three buses, but we had to cap it at two buses. Oh, sure. My right. God. Because just logistically, we couldn't do it. It was unbelievable. And the you can imagine the people that were able to commit in that short a period of time. It was, it was just That's incredible. That's and really very moving. Very it was, moving. It was really very, very moving. And all we did was go to visit wounded soldiers in the hospital, go pay shiva calls, go to funerals, go right. to visit soldiers on army bases. It was totally a chesed mission. There mm. was clearly no touring involved. Right. This wasn't a t- this wasn't uh, going to top of Masada. Not to knock the top of Masada, but that right. wasn't the point of this trip. I get and it. We, and we I went, get it. We brought toys to the Imuna children. In, we have a, a children's home down near Ashkelon. Mm. And these children were on lockdown. Aye, aye, aye. They were sleeping in the shelters right. because they have 15 seconds to get to the shelter. Right. So we brought them toys and, and you know, water toys because it was brutally hot down there. <laughs> and we brought tons and tons of children's pictures and notes. And you've seen the pictures of the sure. tanks, tanks covered in those notes. Sure. We saw one of those huh. tanks. I, I posted it on Facebook. You saw it. Yeah, Sure. And the smiles on the faces of the soldiers and the kids. Mika Amcha Yisrael is what Nachum and I found ourselves saying a bunch of times over our trips this summer. There were when 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 we had the opportunity to go visit a base as well, and and we understood the enormity of the volunteers and their impact. And and I know you saw that as well. And and your your quote-unquote, all we did by going to visit families and chayalim who were injured, etc. It just shows not only the impact of volunteerism, which is something you can speak to at Amuna, but, w- but it also speaks to as well the power of the Jewish nation. And something that, um, that I had asked Nachum or I had joked with Nachum at one point was like, what do other armies do that aren't backed by a people? What do other nations do who have soldiers, etc.? Like, they don't have people shuttling back and forth, uh, you know, different soldiers to take showers or to wash their laundry or bring them food. They don't have that. What do those people do? And I can't even imagine. Right. And it's a rhetorical question, but it just shows the power of us as a people, which was demonstrated so many times this summer. But it also, like, every act had an impact. And, it, and think about 
the impact that your trip had on you, how much more so all of those individual acts had on the people you went to see. I can tell you that every single person in our group, their lives were completely altered. Right. Forever. The emails that went around within the group and those people who are listening from North Jersey... Um, there was articles in the Jewish Standard and the Jewish, I think it's called the Jewish Link. There were many, many articles that were published. And those in the five towns, they published um, Trudy Stern's blog. Wow. Um, in the five towns, Jewish Times. People were just sending their thoughts. It was just an overwhelmingly emotional experience. Right. And we had, we had as I told you, we had two buses. Hmm. Um, and there's a couple of organizations down driving among the army bases um, with truckloads full of supplies. Each unit, you're talking about what the, the army's support from the people. So we had on one of our buses a mother, who, an American mother, whose son was in the army. He's a Chayal okay. Boded, a lone soldier. Okay. And we found out that his unit needed specific equipment. And we've all heard about the underwear and the toiletries. They had way, way more than they needed of that. But he, his unit needed a specific tripod for their rifles. Okay. Um, so we did an appeal in five seconds. They had <laughs> enough money. <laughs> right, right. That's what happens. We, yeah. gave them the mon- we gave the money to this man who then dropped off the money to his unit. That's it. We we had lunch at the Hezder Yeshiva in Stay Road, and we met a soldier. His unit needed knee pads. That's it. They wore out their knee pads in the tunnels. Somebody make a call. That's it. What a call in five minutes. We <laughs> raised the money. We gave him personally. I have a picture. I think I posted it on Facebook. Unbelievable. We gave him the money to go buy the knee pads. They needed the headlamps for their helmets. We gave them the money. It's incredible. This is what we did all right. day long. Right. It's so important. It's so important that everyone understand that as volunteers and um, both your time and your money and then there's all that in between, that all of this makes such a difference. And that's something that you celebrated, Amuna, and that you as outgoing president and incoming chairman of the board and Karen Spatonic as the incoming uh, president as well, um, con- obviously completely appreciate, and you're being honored at the upcoming dinner on Monday the 15th at 6 p.m. at Temple Torah, which is at 5427 Little Neck Parkway, Little Neck, New York. Um, it is the installation, the official installation of Karen as the new president, which is very exciting. Yes, and very. and um, you can make reservations at Amuna.org. You can make donations to Amuna, by the way, of course, at Amuna.org as well. I look forward to being at the dinner because I, besides being a huge Fran Hermes fan, I mean, let's let's be honest, <laughs> I'm a huge Fran Hermes fan. Besides being just a fan of yours in particular, I want to be part of that celebration of your presidency because I really, both as a friend and as a member of the community, am very proud of your presidency and everything that you have done. Thank you. No. Make sure to put in the right address. Yeah, yeah, no joke, by the way. There are only so many times that I can show up to the wrong place when there's an Amuna event. But Amuna.org, yeah, by the way, only funny now. Um, Amuna, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Amuna.org is where you can make, uh, where you can make reservations for the Amuna dinner. Again, that's at Temple Torah in Little Neck, New York. That's Monday the 15th. It's going to be a, a really fantastic evening with a, uh, aside from the, I'm not, I'm not plugging myself or Karen, but we're going to have a, an exceptional speaker. 
Oh, really? Yes, I saw that as well. Right. She was on CNN and uh, Fox News during the, the war. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing her. She should be great. And truth be told is that the different representatives or different people that you have at the, that have spoken at the Amuna dinner who have represented different Amuna programs have always been phenomenal speakers. I mean, Rabbi Sharon is somebody who sticks out in my mind as somebody who captivates a crowd and really is a wonderful spokesperson for Amuna. So I look forward to the entire program and I wish you a Mazel Tov and continued Hatzalcha in your new position. Thank you, Miriam. Can I, can I make Two more comments about the solidarity mission. Sure, do whatever you want. Okay. I want to mention that we a lot of the notes and the drawings that we brought were from, like, kindergartners and three-year-olds. And um, my granddaughter, Sheena, had got her whole group at Benos Base Yaakov at her camp to bring us notes. That's great. And she was so excited that I gave the first note to one of the wounded soldiers Aww, that we went sweet. to visit at Tel HaShomer Hospital. That's great. And she was so excited. And these soldiers, I just want to tell you, the soldiers were so blown away that Americans dropped everything to come because they were so sure that what they were seeing on CNN and what they were hearing from our president was the way all the Americans felt and feel. They were convinced that there's no support for them here. Mm. Wow. How sad is that? That's crazy. That's terrible. It's devastating, honestly. It's devastating. Right. It's devastating. So they were so happy that we came and we brought them these notes and we brought them right. our love and support. That meant so much to them. Just that, that little bit that we did. Well, that is good musser for all of us. That is absolutely good musser for all of us. Something to think about. Right. Just going to Israel and, and being there. And, of course, Spending money, and you know, we left money in Stay Road for 200 soldiers to come have pizza after we left. <laughs> yeah, somebody joked uh, that when the pizza was delivered to their army base, it was like the coming of Mashiach. So, uh, yeah, pizza went a long way this time. That is certainly true. Anyway, Fran, thank anyway, you. Miriam, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I you really it. appreciate it. Totally my pleasure. I look and forward to meeting you. to the dinner. Of course I am. Excellent. You got it. Thanks We're so much. Happy to see you. Thanks, Fran. Take Love care. You. Take care. Thank you. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And I am joined by Nachum Siegel himself, who is sitting to my left and uh, who is my partner in crime a little bit when it has to do with this ALS challenge, simply because I'm the one who is going to be wet and you're the one who's going to be staying up here in the studio and staying dry. Yeah, I'm not a partner at all. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking looking on and wondering why on your wedding anniversary, Stephen's not here to do the dumping of the water. Right, I, I figured that would be the best person to do it. He already got a gift. I didn't feel any Oh, that would have been a second right. gift. Right. Uh, you know what? Let's not spoil them after 19 years. And they this morning to... on the air, I proposed that Frank from Frank Bike Shop. I hooked up with Frank downstairs. Did he say he would uh, dump it on you? Yeah, but you know, I'm not sure that that's Frank. But, because there are a lot of guys down there. Well, there's only one Frank, so if you want to describe right. him to me, I could help you out. Glasses. Here. Yes. Yeah, okay. Glasses a little bit taller than me. Correct. Okay. So then that's Round Frank. face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Good. Frank. So that's of course Frank. Frank. That's so, a legendary Frank. That is, that is the mayor of Grand Street. Right. So, by the way, when I asked him if he would dump the bucket over my head, and he, not even a blink. It's like not even going to be right, closest to the strangest thing that happens on the Lower East Side Because that's what, because that's Frank. You could walk up to him and say, can I have your right arm? He would say yes in a second because we'll do anything for anybody. Right, but the other guys around him were just like, why is she being annoying? Right. It was like, there's nothing. Correct. This is not crazy. Right. They're, there it's to, just they're, there to, they're there to protect Frank. Right, whatever. Right. It's just, this is just going to be another day here. You know on what the they're Lower doing Side. across the street? They're filming person of interest. I couldn't park in the parking lot. 
Oh, really? We're filming right there. Oh. I, and, and this is not a good time, then, to be putting a dump of a uh, bucket of ice someone, water on my someone head. someone said to me, is that the crew that's here because of the ALS challenge with Miriam Wallach? I said, no, no, no. No, no, no. That's the other crew. They're here for CBS or whatever network it's on. Exactly. I don't even know what... Well, no, whatever. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so you and I actually were both nominated. I just want to... By who? Remind you that that happened a number of weeks ago. By who? Judy Myman, Judy Miller Myman. Oh yeah. From I, think I, was, I think I was nominated by a few other people. I'm sure you were. Like Jewish music people, I think. I'm sure you were, but nevertheless. No bucket large enough to cover me in water, so. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm scared of it. Exactly. What do I have to do? I have to write out a ten dollar check to ALS? Is that how it works? And you're missing a zero, <laughs> but that's okay. But that's okay. So I was right. So I was nominated both by Naomi Nachman and Judy Myman to take the ALS challenge, and while the the challenge, or I should say the campaign, is yes, at its tail end, as has been happening all summer, and you're supposed to have 24 hours and yada, yada, yada. I posted on Facebook, and Ellie Klein told me it was okay, so that makes it okay, wow. that um, as long as I announced when I was planning to do it, I was Patra Minamisa until that moment. And so here we are, and my day of reckoning has come. Yes, you clap now. Because Time Magazine all- had an article last week, Bad Fundraising Method. This ALS challenge. Why was it a bad fundraising method said, when it cost them no money right. and made them a lot? No, not meaning, no. Okay. Meaning. That, <laughs> I would say that was successful. <laughs> the, the organization was successful in, in getting money. But if you look at fundraising as an effort to get people to repeat, to be repeat givers, then it's a, it's a bad effort. Okay. Right. That, uh, that, it was an interesting analysis. It was from a director of development. It was a, it was a, you know, right. analyzing fundraising. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's okay. It's a beautiful thing. And it everyone, is a beautiful and, thing. And everyone is taking advantage of this weather. Thank God. Can you imagine if it was one of those uh, summers where, you know. Or it's cold. Well, it's cold and rainy every day. It would be a pain in the neck. Here, it's, I don't know how we've gotten into this where it's sunny and gorgeous every day. Here. Right, but you know that's only the weather in New York. It's not like everyone oh, it, that took point. the challenge only uh, took it in New York. I didn't think I don't that. know how to point that out. Why would someone take it out of New York? Right. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. You mean there are people who live outside of New York? And another thing, right. another problem that's with the That's the way AL- that sounded, right? Yeah. Another, it, that's how it was meant. Yeah. And there's another thing, another problem with the ALS challenge. Okay. It, it has You're ta- Debbie Downer right now. I know, because okay. I'm so dead on this thing. Ugh. It's taken away from the seriousness of the disease. If people knew what people with ALS were going through, oh, my gosh. No no amount of frivolity could possibly temper what people are going through. So I just felt like saying that. Okay, but don't you think that this challenge brought the word, the letters ALS to people's lips yes. who otherwise would never have even I know been I'm wrong for saying all this. I just okay. want to say it. That's all. Okay. So it happens you have a microphone. So Dr. Gold would say that I can still be friends with you and put your politics aside. Which Dr. Gold? The one I just had on at the beginning ah, of the show. Ah, yes. Dr. Gold would say <laughs> that you're allowed to get along with people that disagree with you, yes. Correct. Right. And that I am able to put it's, that and, aside. And by the way, I, no, I, I still I, work with I you do, on a daily I basis. I do agree with all this. I think I'm just a contrarian because everyone's doing it. And it's Thursday. Right. So I just, <laughs> I'm, just, in the, I'm in the mood to be against it, even, uh, though, even though it is a wonderful thing. Well, remember what happens at 11.05, folks. The live lunch starts, and we start dissecting my show during the live lunch. One at 11 o'clock. Well, oh, we gotta let the first song. We gotta let the, the first song. Yes, starts at exactly. So I just want to make a couple of comments that uh, yes, this is the tail end of the campaign. But I'm I hope a- at the beginning of the vi- I know I keep interrupting. Mm-hmm. You. I a hope bit. at the beginning of the video you're gonna do this whole speech. So you want me to wait till I go downstairs and do it? Well, isn't that the whole point? That it be on the video at the beginning? Yes, but I'm not saying who I'm nominating yet. I was going to do that downstairs. I just okay, oh, so this you is know for, what? This is for the radio. So go okay. ahead. Uh, Rummy's the engineer, and he's telling us to hurry up and move he's along. Got Twelve minutes. Okay. Yeah, I know, but I have a song. All right. So yeah. I'm going to take off my headset. I'm going to bring my notes downstairs with me. I'm taking the mic in my hand. Um, well, Danny has 
needs my iPhone because he's going to have to take pictures of it. I'm going to remember to put on the mic. Yeah, Nahum, make sure to put on the video camera. Nahum is going to be doing the play-by-play up here, and he and Danny are going to keep watch or keep an eye on each other through the windows, and I am going to talk to Frank. Right. All right, we're all set? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm leaving my show in your hands. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm ready. That's comforting. All right, here we go. So, Avrami, at this point, I keep talking until we get a signal from downstairs. That's how it works. How will we get a signal? They're going to call? Who's on the phone? Oh, Danny's on the phone right now? Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been following, let me bring you up to date. There's this ALS ice water bucket challenge. I believe that's how it's referred to. And a lot of people have been doing it. Tens, hundreds, millions of people around the tens and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world have been dumping water on what? Yeah, you can put them on. Do whatever you want. <laughs> it's not my show. I'm not worried. <laughs> And Miriam Wallach, uh, she decided that it's gotta be, it's gotta be done. Uh, that her, that when, after, after she was nominated, it's gotta be done on the show at the start of the new season. That is how, that is, that is what she decided. Is that the mic? If that's the mic, it's cutting in and out. Oh, alright. Why the stairs? Why not outside already? I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, she she said that this would take place. Uh, the uh, ALS uh, Ice Water Challenge would take place uh, in front of the studio on Grand Street here in New York City. So that's where we are. If you're listening from around the world, we are on Grand Street in New York City. This is being done live. The video will be uploaded during the live lunch. Stay tuned. We'll let you know exactly when the video is uploaded, so you can see the whole thing. Um, what do we got? Sounds like traffic out there. Sounds like buses moving up and down Grand Street. I think this is a busier intersection than we ever give it credit for. A lot of movement down there. The only stunt I ever remember doing on the street here when we had a, uh, a radio show every single night, I, I think I once gave out school supplies to school kids who were walking by around this time of year, like the first week of school. We just gave out a whole bunch of school supplies to different kids from the neighborhood, uh, both from our community and uh, outside the community. That's the only thing I remember actually doing on Oh, and once... Once we were broadcasting one night from a um, from a uh, a studio on 13th Avenue in Brooklyn, there was a mitzvah tank right outside our window, and the ZK had arranged for me to be able to speak to everybody on the street, and we were having this uh, big feud with them. It was very interesting. What did you say, Rami? All right, uh, let's go. Let's go down to Grand Street with uh, Miriam L. Wallach. Miriam, go ahead. All right, everybody. It's in here on Grand Street. The I Oh, you see, it's cutting in. Grand Street, right? I'm sir, right here on five five one Grand Street. Beautiful day outside that I promised you, and I am doing this live on the air. Frank is going to be outside in one second. Danny, come here and take a shot of this ice bucket. I want, I want every. <laughs> this is hardcore. I got a seven pound bag of ice. Thank you, Seven Eleven. Anybody who just took, you know, the tray from the freezer and cracked it open? No, no. Of course. So as I mentioned a couple of times already, this is the tail end of the ALS campaign, but I am the closer. I am the Mariano Rivera of the ALS challenge. And as a result, I am closing, or I'm bringing the game to a close, with a big, big, big nomination. First of all, my thanks again to Judy, to Judy Myman, calling her by a maiden name. She's been married for 15 years. Uh, to Judy, 
nominating me in the first place. I will be making a donation to, number one, the Shirat Devora ALS Foundation. You can reach them on rootfunding.com slash campaign slash 3660. My friend Chip Quick, friend, mentor, neighbor, and buddy, and Malcolm Siegel Network. He is in the office. He is in the office next door to us, and he is here to Yep, it, it, I'm, a, I'm a good Irishman, but this is one of my best friends, and uh, I have to say that she is really rising to the occasion here for the uh, ALS Foundation. Do you see what I... Committed a lot of ice. In fact, we should have the EMS standing by. She may have a concussion from No her. joke. Hutzala's right there, by the way. Okay. Thank God. Hutzala's right there. All right, and I know mouth-to-mouth uh, -mouth resuscitation, so we should be okay. We should be fine. So I'm giving 100... Again, that's for my neighbor who lives around the corner from me, and, and I wish her a complete refuel shame. In addition, I am donating $100 to the ALS Foundation. That's ALSA.org. But I am upping the ante. Andy, because as Closer. Closer. That's as what, what we, we do. I'm not to come here, because frankly, if I can do it on Grand Street, who can you? So first, Simon and Dr. Joe. Yes, we do not only have to be in Stay Road going to come down here to Grand Street, gentlemen, and you're going to dump a bucket of ice over your heads as well. I'm also nominating Aaron Schachter from Adorama, our friends at Adorama. Aaron, I highly doubt you have so frankly, I want to be here for that. In addition, Stuart Varney from Varney & Co. at Fox Business. Come on, Stuart, join me on Grand Street. And finally, the man himself, not Nahum, because we already know he's not partaking. Charlie Harari has yet to do the ALS challenge. And Charlie, I'm calling you out and I'm asking you to join me on Grand Street. Donate to the foundation. Dump a bucket of ice water over your head. Let's go find Frank. Frank? All right. Does everyone Frank's actually helping somebody with here? a bike. How <laughs> ironic is that? Frank, I'm ready when you are. Or do you want Chip to do it? That's all right. I'm doing the ice bucket challenge here. This is what we do on Grand Street. You want you want Chip to do it? All right, Frank, Chip. How do I hope that's a conversation? Chip, Frank is nominating you to dump it over my head. Chip, this better go viral. Chip, this better go viral. This is going viral, and you will stop that video as soon as it stops. Yeah, well, it's the first time for everything. You ready? Here we go. Ice bucket challenge. No screaming? She's not frozen? Now that is cold. <laughs> Chip is amazing. That was amazing. Thank you, buddy. You're listening to that live here at the Nakam Seagull Network. <laughs> now I'm seriously cool. Thanks, everybody. Listening today, I'm closing with the Maccabees Home. It's their new release. If you haven't seen the video yet, you should. It's on my Facebook page. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Been a lot of places. I've been all around the world. Seen a lot of faces. Never know where I was on the horizon. So I'll be rising back home. No, we 
won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. Don't forget where you belong. Coming home, coming home, tell me. 